podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You know what I did before I recorded this? I walked down the street and I lifted up my shirt to reveal my bollocks. Somebody said, what are you doing? And I didn't get arrested or anything. And then I came in here and I said, well, I'm actually just on my way to record a podcast and talk bollocks. Of course, the name is a little bit fun, but I just really must stress that bollocks boxer shorts are just serving a purpose to remind men to check themselves every time they pull those boxer shorts up. That's why the brand was started. Really good quality boxer shorts, extremely comfortable, really stylish in loads of different colours, and you can use the discount code BARMYARMY to get your 10% off at, at www.mybollocks.co.uk and first class Barmy Army members can enjoy even further discounts by logging into their members section on barmyarmy.com. And by the way, you know, if you do want to see a funny video of me flashing my bollocks on YouTube, just go to the Barmy Army YouTube channel. It'll all make sense on there. <laughs> Let's get into the podcast where I'll be talking bollocks. Hello and welcome to the Shackles Are Off podcast. Now, actually, I got it long, uh, wrong last week. I said it was fo- episode long? 40. Yeah, long. Yeah, longest in the showers. <laughs> I was <Hey. laughs> I was thinking that it was episode 44 last week. This is, in fact, episode 44, and it's an absolute belter as well. It's not a massive Alan Donald-type international superstar, but this bloke's a legend for so many different reasons. We've got Kyle Hogg on the podcast with us this week. And you were both really, really excited to talk to him. I mean, Brooksy, I know you know him pretty well, but Chris, you're a massive music fiend, aren't you? So you were looking forward yeah. to talking to him. Yeah, man. He was, um, oh, see how I turn all music in. So yeah, I know. What's that all about? Man and I become really cool as soon as I talk about Hoggy. Yeah, I was really excited to speak to Hoggy. He's, um, he's obviously got a great cricketing career for Lanks, but the, the addition of his um, SJM musical touring experience is something I really wanted to get into the detail of. Um, one from a massive music fan's point of view, I've probably been to about 100 gigs that he's been working backstage at with all the celebs of the music world, which I'm very jealous about, but also because of the structure and the life that that leads going from cricket to music is such a great transition. It's like, isn't it like the, the dream to, to live your life working in cricket or sport and then music? What an absolute gig he's had all his life and one absolutely smashing bloke, by the way, as well. Top, top boy. Yeah, good man. Yeah, he's one. Like, obviously, this is a mainly a, a cricket podcast, and we ramble on about cricket either way. But to speak to like different characters in the game and what they're getting up to and their other sort of stories to their life, this is gonna this is as te- entertaining as you'll get, and some good insight into uh, your proper rock and roll um, industry, isn't it? And um, obviously, you've been in some gigs. He's got me some tickets to some some gigs. The one that stands out to me is. Um, the Brudenell Club, Headingley, which is a grungy little horrible student venue that holds about 100 people. It's like it's someone's... an absolutely belting venue, by the way. Do not say a bad word about it. <laughs> well, I know it's so bad that it's good and it's actually legendary, isn't it? And um, Coggy, Hoggy got in contact with me a few years ago and said, Oh, we've got this young lad coming on tour and uh, he's going to be huge. Like, he's going to be massive. You better come and see him before he gets big. So I turned up not really knowing anything about him or who he was or anything. 
And uh, it turned out it was James Bay. And then like three months later, when I come back from Australia, he's all over Radio 1 and his album and he's all over TV and radio and he's huge. So he's um, no, he's got some fantastic stories and obviously cricket related as well. He's, he's He was actually a bloody good cricketer as well. What about the story um, you told us off air? Now you're going to tell it on air about a famous Premier League footballer. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to Hoggy to have told this properly because... Um, he would know more about it than I did, but I went to see Jerry Cinnamon in uh, in London at um, I think it was Brixton Academy. Jerry Cinnamon's <laughs> like Scottish folky sort of singer, got a bit of a nutty following, and um, it went off that night. And um, this prominent Premiership footballer who plays for Arsenal um, was at the gig, and I think he might be injured at the time. It's like a Friday night, whatever, and. Uh, <laughs> Hoggy texted me the next morning and said and their next gig was in Newcastle and this footballer got on the bus at the end of the night, the uh, tour bus. In London. And up, in London. Uh, and ended up in Newcastle the next the ne- overnight in the next morning. So <laughs> I'm hoping so, he'll play in football the next day. <laughs> so anyone that's um, that's half knowledgeable might, might have a, a little guess about who that is with it being a, a very famous Scottish artist. And a liver, uh, sorry, an Arsenal player wakes up in Scotland. <laughs> it's it's a good story, very good story, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, we could have talked to him for ages, and we did kind of say at the end of the podcast, didn't we? Look, we're hopefully going to talk to him again at some point in the summer and get a few more of his stories going because his eyes lit up as soon as we started talking about music and stuff. He he just he was just brilliant. It was so good. You can tell he's really passionate about both, and obviously stories about Laxman and. Etc. They're all to come. And, Obviously, and Lax. Brilliant. Lax. <laughs> yeah. Lax. Sorry, it's not if, Lax. If, you, if you're a good close personal friend of Lax, you call him Lax, don't you? Yeah. Lax-y. On the cereal, like you do. <laughs> so Kyle Hogg, he's our guest this week. Brilliant. Also, obviously, we're putting this out just before England play their final Test match in India, and uh, it's two-one to the home side as well at the moment. And we just hope for a better pitch this time round, uh, team, don't we? We do, mate. Um, we really do. It's yeah. Let's hope it lasts at least three to four days. Uh, we we like a dust bowl. It, it is good to watch a, a, a bit of variation from the norm of the seamers. But I really do hope we go the distance. And you know what? If we get a result and it's two all, it, I reckon it'll be viewed as one of England's most successful summers overseas in that part of the world for for quite a long time. Winning in Sri Lanka and then. Backing up with a, a draw against an unbelievable India side. So, fingers crossed for the lads. Yeah, you're right, mate. I think the least said about the pitch, the better, obviously. You know what you're going to get going into here. That's the problem. Um, and it's a shame that you get less than two days of cricket to watch on TV, even as a, you know, I'm a fan as well and I want to watch a decent test match. But um, India just outplayed us on, you know, a, a below average test wicket. But they're a good side. England has to play very well to, to win this last test. So, I just hope they, uh, they sort of pull something out of the bag. On the cricket and music theme as well, you can obviously get involved with the Barmy Army TV sort of episodes that we've been putting out over the last few weeks. There's been some really good stuff and really good fun interaction in there from loads of different members. We've also got the Barat Army involved as well for our little Battle of the Army series. We've talked to loads of different players. We've actually got Joffre Archer on this week's episode. It's interesting to hear from him and also just getting inside into how bloody relaxed he is actually about the game. So me and Chris had a little chat to him on there. Um, but on the music theme, 
we've also do, do a little section on there called Chorus Corner. And people basically sending in all sorts of different songs that potentially could be sung on the terraces. And we've had a few entries now from our pal Jack, who has sent in this absolute belter. So we'll, we'll let you play this out and you can watch the full version actually on uh, Barmy Army YouTube channel, probably about the same time that you're listening to this podcast, it'll be available. So yeah, have a listen to this and then we'll get into a man who is associated with music and cricket himself in Kyle Hogg on the Shackles Are Our podcast. Right, uh, this one's called The Canterbury Tales. from South London They called him Creepy Crawley He made a double century When he doubt out the smashing The slug sweeps and other passions We said you are on number three Perhaps he said how good is this? Now, if you want to watch the full song from Jack, head to the Barmy Army YouTube channel on this week's edition of Barmy Army TV. In the meantime, let's get into it with Kyle Hogg here on the Shackles Are Off podcast. Oh, how good. So, look, I'm led to believe, Kyle, that you're um, you were born in Birmingham, but I've been reliably informed that you're a proper Lancashire lad. Yeah, I'm definitely not a brummie. <laughs> <laughs> no, when my dad actually played cricket for Warwickshire, so obviously he was down there at the time, and then I was born there. Um, but, yeah, moved out when I was three, back up to... Um, Oldham, Saddleworth, not sure if you're aware around there, but um, yeah, definitely not a Bromley. Yeah, oh, that's, well, I suppose that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing um, <laughs> in, many, in many ways. No offence to our Birmingham listeners. Um, two, <laughs> look, you've had two careers. Um, let's talk about the, the first one first. I mean, look, how old were you when you made it into the Lank setup, and what, what was that like when, when you did? Um, well, I mean, I started when I was from under 11s. <laughs> you know, you play under 11s, 13s. 15s or whatever and then you sort of I suppose as you sort maybe stand out a bit you get in and around the second team from <clears throat> 15 or 16 so I mean probably luckier luckier in them days is you didn't have academies or anything you were either a professional or you weren't so it was like right you're doing well you, you're playing well at 15 um here's some second team games and you know if you do well then you you actually got signed as a professional so you didn't have the two or three years of doing the same as the rest of everybody else, but getting paid nothing for it. So it was, um, it actually worked out, you know, beneficial. Um, so did, yeah, did well in the second team and sort of signed a contract at 17 pretty much. And then sort of, you know, left school, I'd went to Huddersfield college with my mates for a summer after school, just to get that. Um, I think we got 30 quid a week grant. That's, that's the only reason I signed up for it. <laughs> we, used just, we used to just go to the McAlpine stadium on a, just on the driving range, spend that 30 quid grant and then pretend we've been at college all day. But <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, obviously the summer starts to play cricket and you're 17, you're playing in the first team at Lancashire in some games, which was, you know, just surreal, really. Mm. Like, very surreal looking back. Who was in that Lancashire setup when you were 17? Was there any superstars in there when you walked in and you saw these people and like, wow, I'm playing with? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first session, um, I think 
my grandparents took me to. John Crawley was captain at the time. It's like, you know, he walks up to you, I'm John Crawley, and others, Mike Atherton's like, I am Mike Atherton. I'm thinking, fuck it, I've just been watching all these guys on TV for 10 years. And I'd never met anybody, I suppose, famous. You know, I'd always ever seen them on TV. I was like, you, you just don't realise the normal people because you just become associated yeah. with them on TV. Um, so I said, you're there in you're bowling in the nets with like Ian Austin, and it was just it's actually quite funny looking back now. At the time, I think because you're young, you just you know you just love it, don't you? But um, you know, you sat in the dressing room for my for my debut, and it's like Neil Fairbrother, Flintoff. Um, I mean, you could literally go through the whole team: John Crawley, Bumble Lloyd, Warren Hegg. You know, all of every single one had played for England, and then I'm just a 17 year old like in the corner thinking what's going on here <laughs> that's mad did you come through at the same time as Jimmy or just you're a little bit younger well, than Jimmy? so Jimmy's a year older than me but Jimmy probably started a bit later I think he probably came into lengths around I'd say 14 15 and it was just like literally one of them where everyone had heard of this you know this bowler from Burnley who was just rapid but you know, at the time, you know what's what's rapid to a fifteen-year-old, and then you know you'd watch it, and then he, you know, obviously turned up and started bowling in the nets. And when there's people like who played Test cricket, you know, getting the hurry up batting, you're thinking, you know, this guy is quick. And then obviously, for, me and Jimmy, you know, very similar. We signed on the same day for Lancashire, me and him, uh, with Bob Simpson, who was the Lancashire coach at the time. You know, Aussie legend. And um, you know, we were just. You know, you'd probably speak to him about it. You know, we just dead quiet. It was just, you know, like, what's going on here? And then, um, you know, Jimmy started bowling and <laughs> obviously the rest is history. What's uh, He's done all right for himself. <laughs> Quality. I mean, look, um, was Bumble your first coach then when you got in there? No, it was Bob Simpson. Bob Simpson. So he, yeah, but I mean, I didn't really have a lot to do with him. He, he was like your old school Aussie, you mm. know, like he was, I think he you hear stories about him and it was like you'd get out first ball of the game and it was go and do 50 laps of the, you know, the pitch sort of thing when he was in, not at Langshire, but you know, like those old school stories of, you know, but then it was straight in the bar as soon as the, you know, play had finished and everyone has sort of 10 pints. And, but I think from, you know, what everyone says about him, he was a great coach. And, um, you know, I think, in a, in a way, cricket sort of misses that old school, you know, where you sort of have to earn your stripes in the dressing room. You know, that's what it was about. It was, you had to stand up for yourself. You know, it's um, it's a tough environment, a dressing room. Yeah. When when you... What was it? Um, what was count, Sorry, what was county cricket like when you... Because you've been, what was it, 17, early 2000s. The county game would be miles different from when you finished and probably like, even more so now. So what was it like sort of off field? I know that... Lads enjoyed a bit, a bit more back then. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, like, I, I remember some of my first ever trips on the bus and it was like, if you weren't sat on the cards table or you weren't having the racing post, picking all your horses for the week, it was like, <laughs> you, you were getting it off everybody. <laughs> you had to choose whether you were one or the other. Um, <laughs> like, you know, my dad obviously played, um, he sort of came from that era of betting and all that so I'd, I've seen what it does to people you know it just it just sort of ruins your lives really um, so I was never into the horses for that reason but you know you get dragged into the card school and, and, and it's sort of like you know the lads have a sort of different I suppose respect of you you know they show that obviously you're, you're a good cricketer because you're there but you can also 
have a laugh as well. Um, and it was like, you know, the 12th man's job was at the end of the day is to play the go round and, you know, it's what drink you're having as soon as you walk in the dressing room. And the 12th man job was to bring in basically all the pints. And it was like, <laughs> they'd, they'd easily have two or three pints before you even took your whites off. Easily. <laughs> That's so, that's absolutely mentally. I mean, you know, I can't get my head around that now because it's all, you know, pa- I, I, no. all, you know, GPS packs when you're training and how many kilometres you're looking at you, you're shaking your head at that. <laughs> Ice baths and protein shakes, but, but I mean, obviously it is, you know, it, it's not the right thing to do, but that's where you learn about the game. You know, that's yeah. you, you would sit down and like the opposition would come into the dressing room and you'd be speaking to people about bowling and batting and you know that's totally gone now it's like as Brooks is you know he'll know more than me now but you finish your day's play it's you've got to do all your recovery and it's you get on the bus with your team you go to your hotel you finish the game you come in you know you go to the next one there's just you sort of just speak to lads now before and you know during the game you don't sort of build the relationships which I suppose they had in them days yeah there is I suppose good and bad points for each way um you look at someone like Jimmy, who's probably had to adapt and change to the modern game, and his career's just gone on longer. He's healthier, fitter for it. So you can see the benefits why sort of people go on for longer and are fitter going into post-career. But at the same time, um, like you said, the social aspect of it, which is massive in society anyway these days, it's taken a bit of a nosedive, hasn't it? And um, you're right, you do learn. And someone like Bessie a few years ago went and sought out Ashwin when we um, when we played Knots because he knew he wasn't going to come into the change room for a drink and stuff. But he went and actively sought him out. So if, unless you do that, you're not going to have that sort of interaction with the opposition and talk through each other's sort of skills and how potentially you can point someone in the direction if you've got a youngster who wants to talk about bowling and stuff. So it's like gold dust, but I mean, you had enough legends in your change room anyway, didn't you? So you, did you have a yeah, sort of. What was, what, what, sorry, yeah, Karen. I just think just being around them and talking to them, you, you probably don't realise the information you're picking up at the time, you know, because to them, because they've done it for so long, so often, it, it becomes natural and then you're in that environment and then all of a sudden you think, oh, well, that's just what I do in that situation because you've sort of been in it with other people and it's, like you say, if you're a young lad and you've not had a chance to speak to people, it's you sort of sometimes maybe have to figure things out yourself. What was what was Fred like? We probably can't move on before we've had a little mention of any Freddy yeah. stories. I mean, like personally to me, he was like he really looked after me. That, like I was saying, in that dressing room was even though he was sort of just playing for England. I, I wouldn't say he was a he was a big star. I, I think he played for England and probably more renowned for his you know his off field antics than his on field antics. But he was um, to me, he was you know just so welcoming. You know, he made me feel like, um, you know, you're part of part of the team. Um, go out of his way to do anything. And even, you know, to this day now, you know, like whatever he's, what I mean, what has he become? I don't know. It's this like person you just see on TV all the time, but he's, he's still the same person that he was at 17 from Preston. And I think in cricket terms, that's where, you know, we're very lucky, you know, even... Jimmy, you'll know, is the same person as the day he played for Langshits. There's no airs and graces. There's no airs and graces about anyone, you know, no matter what they do in their careers. Um, where you see people in other sports, you know, the money and the fame probably it does change you in a way it's got to, but you know, actual their 
mentality and everything else is the same. So, you know, with Fred, even now, you know, it's like anything that's required or you want want from him, you know, he'll be there for you. And that's, I think he realises that he was just lucky that, you know, he was, he was just someone who was good at cricket and everything else that's followed is, you know, I, I bet he can't understand it half of it, to be honest. Did you have a few good nights out in the early days, back before he was super famous? Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like they were all like that, to be honest. It's um, you know, I was I was never sort of part of the because I was young. You know, I never really got into the proper boozing. But you know, you know, like some of some of the nights they'd have, I, you know, they'd be like someone stag do, and then they were like, <laughs> but then they'd be like bowling again, at eleven o'clock in the morning, and then they just run up at the top of off stump. You know, it's just. Um, but I think you know, it wasn't like one or two people were doing it. You know, I think all teams, that was just a culture, you know, the same in rugby, you know, even international rugby union, you, they'd be getting, you know, they'd be getting boozed up and stuff. Anyway, it's just, as, like I said at the beginning, you are, you're either like part of it or you weren't. And I suppose if there was more people doing it, so it's like, that's how you sort of fitted in in the dressing room. Yeah. Hey, we, we, we had a great chat with Bumble, um, me and Chris actually the other day for a YouTube channel. And look, I mean, you know, we've come across him before and stuff. He's just, he's like what you were saying though, so normal. I mean, he's a legend, not just here in the UK and people who've got a Sky Sports subscription, but like literally you've got Indian fans and stuff commenting on the video going, wow, what a legend, we love Bumble. But he's yeah. just so normal. He's talking about his dogs and talking about yeah, his yeah. gardening he's been doing. I mean, it's the same, isn't it? It's clearly something in the water, Old Trafford. Well, I think it's like, you know, it's like I was saying, you know, you see just if you only associate people with TV and, and seeing them on things, it's like you think they're these random people who live in like places you've never experienced or, you know, like Bumble's just a normal person who's, you know, he's out there, he loves his cricket, he's obviously an amazing commentator, but, you know, when he's away from cricket, he's probably like just everybody else take his dog out for a walk playing golf you know it's just because he's such a character people can you know can relate to him and I think that's a good thing with cricket is you can relate to a cricketer can't you, you can relate to a flint off playing a test match but then drinking all night celebrating whereas you know on the football side you, you just don't you just don't really see that do you because they can't they sort of their life their lifestyle doesn't um can get away with it yeah hey on the football thing actually that reminds me there's a story somewhere but we'll talk about that a little bit later on but we'll just park park that thought um rose's match i mean obviously for a lancashire lad they're they're a bit really big thing and you must have loved playing in those battles because i mean they're so important aren't they to lancashire supporters you also share something in common with brooksy in the sense <laughs> that your highest score um, first class score actually came in a Roses match, so I'll open the floor to the the meeting of minds of two two great all rounders in Roses matches. <laughs> That's what they are, Greg. Big time players. <laughs> well, Hoggy was definitely an all rounder because he he was a lot better with the bat than I was. But we um we played against each other in a Roses match, didn't we? That's when we probably first started speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, I'll let you talk through your experiences of, of Roses matches, mate. Um. Yeah, I mean, like obviously they they were massive. They're probably bigger for you know your your members than probably the players because the players play against each other so much. It's not like that hatred of you know, probably what the fans have. Um, you know, you, you become friends with people, so you, it's not like uh, you just want to get one up on them. You want to win for your team. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, when like you first start and you you get to, I suppose the the Yorkshire lads come into Old Trafford or you go to Headingley, you know, there is a lot riding on it. Um, you you're playing against people like you know when I started Darren Goff, Jason Gillespie, Craig White. Same same as like I was saying, you know, in, in our dressing room, you look around and all these people you've seen on TV, and then you're playing against them. Um, yeah, another thing, just just surreal, really. But the intensity was probably you know for people who've never played international cricket, that's where that's probably as close as possible. You're going to get to play in that sort of standard where all the international players are back. Um, you know, my, my high score was in a Roses match and remember going out to bat and it was Dion Cruz, who was, you know, absolute, just mad South African, great yeah. lad, but bad at the same time. Um, you know, Jason Gillespie, Really good bowling attack. Um, Rashid then as a young lad, you know, he was he'd not been around he'd been around a bit, but not loads. Um, you know, you're playing in the middle wicket, Old Trafford, it, it did felt like a test match, you know. And then I think I think I came in it like we were in a bit of trouble and I managed to bat with Laxman, BVS Laxman for quite a while, which was just like just amazing. Just just, you know, batting with him for three or four hours, just you know, talking and just, you know everyone in cricket will just think of him, you know, when he got that 281 and there's like 300,000 Indians in the ground just going mental. Um, <laughs> I probably felt like that. And then you're just there stood in the middle batting with him and he's like Rashid's bowling into the rough and they're setting certain fields and laxes at the other end and like telling you where you should be looking to score and stand this way. You know, it's just <laughs> the things that you look back on and you're just like, at the time you don't realise because you're in the game, you're in the battle, but some of the things that you know now I've gone into coaching a bit with with the Lancashire girls and stuff and and them are the things that I'll hopefully pass on to people that you know I'd learned from the best player of spin or one of them that's sort of ever played the game. That's class, mate. Well, my experience of Roses games was they were always quite fiery and tasty. Um, especially the Champo games, because obviously you're around for so long. But yeah, but you're right though, like the supporters and the media and everyone else builds it up and wants it to be this big special spectacle, which it is, and the players do care. I think it's almost like the players just don't want to lose it because they don't want to give the bragging rights away. Um, but you do play against you so often because the second teams play each other probably about eight times a season. You play each other in pre-season friendlies. Um, you get, obviously, the county circuit, you play against the same teams a lot. So you tend to get reasonably friendly or know the opposition quite well. So off-field, you're all these nice, decent, friendly lanks lads. And then on-field, a couple of them just turn into absolute maniacs, which... You probably you probably get the other way around as well, and it's been. Like, I've been on field and played in some quite fiery games, but they were really like you said though. If you're not going to play international cricket, is the pinnacle, and it's one of the fixtures you look for straight away, isn't it? At the beginning of the season, so I love I love the games, and um, yeah, I just uh, I wish that there was more games in county cricket like that because they are pretty special. You know, if you call. VVS Laxman lax. I think you've officially made it. <laughs> I was just thinking That's that. It. The best thing with him, right, when he played for us, he'd, he'd come in batting. And do you know them, um, like the chocolate crunchy nut cornflakes? Have you ever had them? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the best cereal ever. And obviously in, in our kitchen, he just he couldn't believe his eyes when he saw them when he turned up. He was like, what are these? And basically, I think he, he just got addicted to them. And he, um, <laughs> He'd come in at say come in at lunch. Obviously, you get forty minutes, and he'd do the same every day. He'd, he'd go into the kitchen, like pour his cereal. You know, he's still got his pads on and everything. He's probably like hundred <laughs> out at the same time. 
put his cereal, put it like put the milk in, and then and go and like lie down where his locker was. And within no word of a lie, within ten seconds, he's fast asleep snoring, like fast asleep. No. And then it, no, seriously, but fast asleep. And then everyone's like, you know, doing whatever they do at lunchtime. And then be fighting them. Someone have to tap him on the shoulder, like Laxy, like five minutes to go. The umpires are going out, and he'd wake up, get up, have his crunching up cornflakes. Get his like bat and just walk out again like nothing had happened. Like <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> what is that all about? That's absolutely but, but, but for him, he was like massively, massively, probably well advanced um, to anybody on the mental state and everything. You know, like his mind was just he used to read loads of books on psychology, on the mind and everything. And it was probably his way of getting away from batting, you know, everything that he's thinking about, you know, it's, he could just literally switch off like that, fast asleep, and then just wake up and then go back into into the zone of batting. And it was amazing to see, really. And, you know, we've probably said, you know, Brooksville played with loads of people, but for someone who's played that much international cricket to care that much about playing in front of one man and his dog was, you know, they didn't come around that often. Mm. And... You know, it's it's like only when you finish you think about it. You're like, well, I mean, that's why they were the best for so long in Test cricket. Proper legend. Did he play with Murali much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was he like? Mad as well. Yeah, just absolutely mad. Like just yeah, he, you know, like, loved a game of cards. Um, just used to cheat all the time. You know, like, <laughs> um, you had to let him win. I think. Um, but you know, he was he, he was just brilliant to have around. You know, like it it just practice and practice and practice, and just wanted to bowl all the time. Uh, never wanted to bat. Um, just great, just great to have in the dressing room. You know, like them. Um, you know, absolute legend, wasn't he? And to be honest, I think as well because he was because he was so good in the way people played him. Gary Keeder probably had his best careers when Morley was there. You know, because people played. Morally so, you know, defensive. They didn't want to get out to him. Whereas Keats could actually flourish then at the other end, and he had some, he had some great years, and was probably so unlucky never to be picked for England. You know, um, you know, he probably had two or three years when Morley was uh, getting 60, 70 wickets. Yeah. What about um? What, what you went to New Zealand, didn't you, to play a bit in winters and stuff? Is is this right that it was on the recommendation of Jonathan Trot? Um, well, Trot Trot had played for Otago. Who were like their, you know, their first class team over there and you know, done well against Warwickshire and stuff. I think they were just looking for somebody and I think, yeah, Trotty might have men- mentioned me. But um yeah, I don't think Trotty had not played for England at the time or anything. He was just sort of cutting his teeth in county cricket, you know, he was probably looking at playing for England, but I don't know if he was looking at having, you know, the career he did for England. I think he'd, you know, he'd come over here and he was, you know, doing really well for Warwickshire and Playing for new, playing for a tag in the winters, you know that that's as as a cricketer. If you can do that, you know you, you're laughing really. If you can, you know, playing first class cricket in England and abroad in the winter, it's a it's a good way of you know making quite a bit of money for the lads who are not involved in England tours and and things like that. Yeah, great country. One country I've always wanted to go to is play cricket. Yeah, it was brilliant, and like the lads were just, you know, they were they were just great lads. Um, it's where you know Brendan McCullum was from there. He he wasn't actually playing for them at the time, but his brother Nathan was who who went on to play for a bit for England. Um, and it was just, yeah, I mean, like a bit dissimilar to Aussies, aren't they? You know, like every every Kiwi you meet, they're just like the best blokes you've ever met. Um, everyone looked after you. Great country. Um, 
but yeah, it was um, no, it was good. It was good. Good experience. Looking back, I probably didn't use it as as well as I should have done. But you know, that's that's life, I suppose. We uh, we had Ricky Clark on just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, actually, and um, you know, obviously, I mean, he's into his twenty first year, is it or something? He said to us lads, twenty first year of first class cricket, which was just amazing. But we were talking about um, his sort of, I don't know, thirst for sledging. Um, and he loves it. I mean, we'd heard off loads of people that he loves it, but he sort of did sort of allude to the fact that actually it's just that's kind of going a little bit out of the game as well now. And I mean, I bet that when you were sort of with all the lads, you know, you were playing with Phalanx and again, some of the lads and obviously the sort of the evening culture, shall we call it? I bet that created a, a, a really good bit of sort of good natured bants out on the field, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, like. That's the thing, isn't it? In today's day, it's not you're not allowed to say anything or do anything, or like upset someone's feelings. But you know, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, you know, it was never like you know hatred sledging, but it was especially if you know some of the bowling attacks we had at, at length on some you know some fast pitches, and then there'd be people coming out to bat in from other teams. It, you know, it was all on really, and like it was. Like never hatred, but you know they'd always be sledging, and I think you know the the best sledgers are not the ones who are stood there shouting abuse. It's the ones that are planting seeds in the mind. You know that's that's to me what sledging's about. You know anyone can stand there and shout. You know it's like it's like when you see you know people kicking off in the street don't you, on a on a Saturday night. The ones who are shouting are the ones who normally someone sparks them out. You know it's the ones who are just you, you have to be wary of who, who are the best ones. You know, like especially with us, you'd have people in set fields. It'd be like a short leg. There'd be a man catching around the corner. There'd be a man on the hook, and then there'd be someone shouting at mid off, like "Oh, get ready for the bout!" You know, get ready for a catch, top edge. And so as a bat, you know, that's playing on the batter's mind, isn't it? Mm. Thinking, am I going to get a bounce or am I not? You know, to me, that is that's good sledging. It's not like you know, you're an absolute whatever. I'm sweating every ball. I'm sweating on a short ball if you're doing that. Exactly, and that's and that is. What the game's about, isn't it? You know, it's like the people who, who handle it better, who play the ball as it comes out, are the ones who have more success. Yeah, hey, yeah. you've got people quick bowling. You know, if you've got Jimmy playing, or you've got Fred bowling, or Chappie, who was, you know, then it's like, you know, all of a sudden it's it's not very funny unless he stood in the field blocking it. <laughs> yeah, playing Chappie, unbelievable. County cricket, but like he was unlucky not to play for England. Unbelievable bowler. Yeah, the best. I'd say. Comfortably for years. Yeah, <laughs> he was part of why well, good big reason why you guys won the championship. I imagine. 20, do you want to talk us through your championship medal in twenty? It was twenty eleven, wasn't it? Twenty eleven. Yeah, um, I think we played at Liverpool every game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say play Egbert every game, and you're going to get results. <laughs> but that's what it was. I mean, like you know, Old Trafford is arguably the best pitch in the country. But even in five day cricket, it's hard to get a result. Sometimes in four day cricket, it'd just be like. One team gets 350, the other team gets 400, share cans at four o'clock on the fourth day sort of thing. Whereas when they're having all the redevelopment done, it was taken out of our hands of playing at Old Trafford. So we had to either play at Liverpool, Blackpool um, or Southport. Southport. So we played played there. So, So basically we knew as soon as the season started that if you play four days, you either win or lose. And that's... Obviously, that's the only way to build your points up. Um, and, and we were always looking like we, we could always get 20 wickets. It was whether we could get scores on the board. You know, that's a, that's a difference, isn't it, between winning matches. You know, we, could, we can always ball teams out. 
Um, but obviously we played a lot of games at Liverpool and that has really stepped up. You know, like Stephen Moore got a thousand runs, Paul Horton, um, basically everyone who, who was required to step up and get runs, you know, they did. And then, you know, like I said, we knew as a, as a bowling attack, if we had 300 on the board, we could bowl anyone out. And we sort of got on a roll of, as, as people say in all sport, you know, you start winning a few games and people are turning up to play you. They play you differently because they know you're full of confidence. And we, we just won some like really random games that you would just like the last overs of games with like eight men round the bat and Simon Kerrigan's just spun one and it's hit something and it's someone's glove and you've caught it and you've won the game. And them are the things that, you know, to win seasons and to win trophies, you need them to go your way. And then... <laughs> You know, on the, on the season after when we got relegated, them are things that didn't go our way. It wasn't yeah. that we were playing any worse or better. It was just like that little bit of luck you need sometimes. Just it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Maybe you know you relax a bit. It's first time Langford won the seat, um, won the championship in seventy-seven years. You know, you're going to Buckingham Palace. You're having all these. You know, you're walking around Old Trafford, um, Man United halfway through the game. You're going out on the pitch at Man City. You know, just from being who's someone who's playing cricket and it's you're getting all of these things maybe in the back of everyone's minds, you know, they took the foot off the gas. But, you know, to be a part of that now is, um, you know, it, it's happened and there's a lot, a lot of legends at Langshire, um who've played and they've never, never done it. And that's one thing that, you know, no one can ever take away from that medal I've got in me in my garage. Cool. It's not bad for a, for a lad from Saddleworth, mate, when you're mingling with the Queen, uh, Prince Philip, and pissing about at Man City. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Also, I bet you're playing at Liverpool, I bet you had some good nights out after some wins, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it is a good city, isn't it? Um, yeah, it was, it, it was just great to play at Liverpool, you know, like, we, we knew how the pitch played, we knew what team to pick, People used to turn up and think we'll um, we'll bat first or bowl first, but we always knew, you know, we, we just knew how that pitch played, and you know, Chappie stayed fit all season. Uh, just like you can, there's probably a thousand things you can mention that everything just it just happened, you know, it just kept falling for us. What I was going to say, right? Let's talk about because you're talking about stadia and going around sort of all these stadiums and stuff. I want to, I want to know, I want to hear about you and your second career. So you've been a sportsman, you've also been a rock star. I mean, that's like unbelievable. What's next? Is it going to be an astronaut? Um, but just, <laughs> just talk, talk, talk to me about, talk to me about the music thing though, Kyle. Because uh, you yeah. know, it's how did it come about? Was it something that you were sort of doing on the side when you were playing county cricket? I, I mean, it's, it intrigues me and fascinates me. Yeah. So I mean, I'd obviously played for quite a long time, and then I think you get to a point where if you're not going away in the winters, um, you're not doing other things. There comes a point where it's like, you know, the, it, shit, it sinks in that potentially I'm not going to be doing this for much longer. What am I going to do? You know, from my point of view, signed from school, got no qualifications, got my level three cricket, you know, coaching badge, which is in cricket terms is good, but it's not going to get you a job in the outside world. <laughs> uh, so there was like three, three seasons before I retired, I started thinking about what, what can I actually see myself doing. And, and, because I've been involved in cricket for so long, I actually saw myself when I finish and just getting away from it. I think just just being in that environment for 15 years was probably taking its toll, really. So one of my good friends who's, who's from older than me was in a big band in Spiral Carpets. Um, 
he's a massive Lance fan. So like I, I leave him tickets for cricket all the time. And I'm, I've always been into music and gigs and he's worked for SJM concerts, the call. So that basically any concert you go into the country, it's probably SJM who, who are putting it on really. So he's, he's toured with bands um, all his life since his band finished. Um, so we just got um, hit up a really good relationship. Um, so I just said to him, I said like, you know, any chance of, of coming with you in the winters, just trying to, you know, basically see what, even though that's probably not the real world, that sort of industry, but it is a world away from sport. So I was like, can I just come with you? Um, just, I don't want paying, you know, Lancashire, we get paid 12 months a year. Um, but, you know, I need to start thinking about something. And he was, because the role he does, or what, you know, what I do now, it's because you are on your own. It was great for him to have someone with him. Um, so I think the season, say the season finished on the Friday, he was like, right, Monday morning. He was on the Stereophonics tour at the time. So he was looking after that. So he's like in charge of basically everything that happens on that day and the concert all goes through him, you know, because we're the promoter. So we, we make all the decisions for everything for the band. Um, so he's like, yeah, we're at Manchester Arena, turn up. But in my head, because I'd only ever been to concerts, I was thinking, surely everyone just gets out at seven o'clock at night, you know, like plugs it. Kelly Jones plugs his guitar in and walks on stage. And then like the gig happens. And you know, so I was like, right, what time do I need to be there? And he was like, well, they load, like, they call it loading in. That's when all the trucks turn up and all the buses and everything from whatever venue they've just come from. I think it was like 6 a.m. start. So he's like, get there for 5.30. I'm like, fucking 5.30, what are people doing at that time? You know, like, is the concert not at night? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, but when you see a, a, a tour of that size, it's like, you could probably have maybe 10 or 15 Arctic trucks, um, you know, like maybe 10 tour buses. Uh, they'll all get there at five, six in the morning, everything, you know, the doors open. Then it's like, you know, there could be maybe 200 people, just people everywhere, all with their own individual job. You know, they're, they're basically setting the stage up, getting the stage built, you know, bringing the lights, the sound in, you know, everything you see on the stage, like the guitars, the, 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 the amps, you know, like everyone's doing their own job. So, Basically, over two or three years, I just started going with him more and more, doing loads and loads of like just days with him, um, all types of different venues, different different types of music, um, you know, some really, really big artists, um, and just getting a feel for it because I just knew that at some point, you know, I'm not going to be playing cricket and I've, you know, as probably Brooks in ours, you know, you see these lads who you get used to, you're not fo- you're not on football money, but you're on money where you don't have to worry about paying your bills each month. You can go on a holiday. You can, if you want to go for a meal on a Tuesday night and spend hundred quid, you can do, you know, you, you get into that routine where, um, you know, I'd seen so many lads over the years get so used to that. And then they go in the contracts meeting and it's like, ah, cheers, we don't want you anymore. Or they get injured and then it's just, you know, that's when you hear the stories of the booze and the gambling. They're just lads just basically lose the plot. And being in a dressing room for that long, it's like you just, you're not prepared for the next stage of your life. You know, it's like, you know, if you've been in our dressing room for 15 years and then someone says, by the way, Monday morning, put a suit on, you're at NatWest Bank and you're not allowed to take the piss out of anyone. And if someone says something to you, you can't tell them to F off. You know, it's like, you know, that's how, that's what life is like, isn't it? In the next stage of your career. Um so I went with them more and more and then retired. I think I finished in like, I went for a scan on my back in the March and he was just like, yeah, you're done pretty much. But because I built the bridges with SJM, I I could I was in a position to say, oh, I've finished playing cricket now. And they were like, right, um, next Monday, start this tour. 
on my own, which was mine's. And it was Gerard Way, who's, you know, from My Chemical Romance. Um, you know, I mean, really, really big. You know, he was doing a solo tour. So they were all like, they were small venues, but because of who he was, you know, it was it was just straight into it, you know, which which was good. So I missed all that bit of sitting at home, worrying, you know, what am I going to do? What and, and And, you know, you don't sort of have the luxury of, I suppose, if you've played football and you have that amount of money to think, oh, well, I've got two years to figure it out. It's like, you know, it's... Yeah, you just gotta go straight into it, and so I just went literally straight into it. Went on tour with Gerard Way, which was just surreal. You know, he's just like my Chemical Romance had you know headline Reading and Leeds Festival, and I'm just sat there in the dressing room with him, and he's and he's on his e cigs just all there, just doing doodling, like drawing. Out. He's, you know, it's just it's just weird, but you know, so I went into that. I've been doing it six years now. You know, built up a good relationship with a lot of big, quite high profile bands who I've been with since. You know, pretty much their first ever gigs. Um, it's similar to cricket. You you go on the journey with them, even yeah. though you're not a player. You go from playing so the Leeds, uh, the Stylus, which holds 600 people. Then you know they sell a few more tickets or at the Academy too. Oh, bloody hell, we're doing really well now. We can play Leeds Academy. We might sell 2,000, and then you know all of a sudden they're all over the radio, and then you play in arenas, and then it's like bloody hell, they're walking down the street and everyone's recognising them, and yeah. it's like you know. There's fans outside the back, you know, for the same lads that you were with four or five years ago, where they were driving their own, you know, driving their own splitter van, setting their own gear up, and you know, it's just it, it is mad, really. It, it's a mad environment, but it's um, you know, it's good to see as well. Kind of replacement for sport for a living, though, isn't it? I'm a massive, massive, yeah, Kasabian fan and and others, but I basically got an SJM season ticket. Um, I want you. You're probably my favourite guest we've had on the pod, by the way, for that reason alone. But who's the best band or artist you've ever toured with? Um, personally, because I like love Nirvana. Nirvana are probably one of my favourite um, bands ever. You know, so, so touring with Foo Fighters, done like probably about ten or fifteen gigs with them. That's crazy. Yeah, and it, it's like Dave Grohl, best mates yeah. now. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I mean, you know, when when you're with them all the time, it's like, you know, you, you just see them in the corridor, they chat to you, it's like, you know, I think after, we did um, two nights at West Ham Stadium, I um, can't remember what they call it, the City of London Stadium, and because you're with them all the time, they see you around, and you got to imagine in that environment they've got, there's pretty few places that you can and can't go in within the dressing room area, you know, they've got security everywhere, and you know, it is it is really, really what you'd expect. You know, especially after the Manchester bomb, um, they came over the next year to England, and outside their dressing room at Man City Stadium, they had, there was actually armed soldiers in the dressing room compound. You know, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty frightening because you look at what could happen. So it's so so that, so what if they're seeing you in and around that all the time? They know that you know, you saw a part of something and yeah, you just like, you just chatting to them and it's just like, it's mad because I, I you know, for me, I'm sports people. I'm not, I'm not interested, you know, you see Beckham or whoever, it's just, oh, right, he just plays football. You know, like to me, it's like, you know, that's Dave Grohl, the drummer out of Nirvana or, um, you know, whoever it might be. And then you, you get chatting to them, you do. And it's like, um, Dave Grohl would write the set list every night. And because um, with gigs, like when they're that size, they, they have a curfew. So it means like at 11 o'clock, 
if they're not off stage, the pro- you know, if he carries mm. on playing so many implications, which people don't realise, you know, financial, um, could be to do with, you know, local councils, you know, if you're playing a big gig outside and, and the music's still pumping at five minutes past 11, you know, that could <laughs> potentially mean that you don't get a licence again for a gig um, and all that. So it's like, so he'd be right in the set list and, and each member of the band there turn up individually with their own security and Taylor Hawkins, who's a drummer, who's just like, just never stops. He's always just like moving. And he's yeah. like, he just kicked with at Sunderland City of Light and he, I was having a coffee and he's like, came in and he's like, fucking hell, dude. Like, it's like, Dave wants to play 35 fucking songs tonight. And it's like, <laughs> this is a band who've been playing 25 years and he, and like, obviously Dave Grohl's just buzzing to be there to play like for two and a half hours if it's possible. And like obviously the other people are having conversations like, fucking hell, you're not allowed to play for two and a half hours. Just like you're gonna have to cut a few songs off, you know, like but then, <laughs> but then obviously they're the ones who are selling, making the company millions of pounds. So it's like who's got the balls to go and tell them that they can't play for two and a half hours? Well, if they want to play two and a half hours, that means they're going on earlier. And yeah. then it, it's just it's just all like it's just weird things within like um a really, really big, you know, event. But the bottom line is they're just five normal blokes, the most, or, you know, just normal blokes from um, Seattle in in America. And they just ended up being, I suppose, what, what they've become. Yeah. Have, you, have you shown them your away swinger, Hoggy? <laughs> no, no, but I, I've, I've actually done a bit of cricket with um, with the lads from Muse, uh, bowled at them in the nets before, um, before they went on to play when they were playing at Old Trafford. And, uh, so Chris, who's the bass player, he was like, he loves his cricket. So I was bowling at him in the indoor centre at Langs, and I'd have about, I wasn't actually working, I'd had about three pints as well. And uh, so I was bowling at him, and he was like, only with a tennis ball. And he's like whacking him into the side, absolutely loving it. And then Matt Bellamy came, and he was like, fucking, what are you doing? Like, we're on stage in half an hour. And he's like, can I calm down? Like, just give me a few more, like, a few more on the front foot. And then, and then obviously, like, they walk on stage, and it's like a Muse concert to 60,000 people, and no one knows. Like, half an hour ago, he's, he's more bothered about where his top hand is, and it's like, <laughs> and he gets great kicks in the indoor centre. That's all he was bothered about. I love he was it. About, like, 60,000 people. I love that it. That is so good. Hoggy, we're going to have to have you on again, mate, because <laughs> I could talk to you all day and Chris could listen to all these stories all day as well, pal, couldn't you? All day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have to... It's really not. No, honestly, we want to have you on again, pal. So um, if, if you're up for it, we'll definitely have you on again. Yeah. Spot on. We'll get chapter two with Hoggy, definitely. Yeah, well, let's do chapter two with Hoggy. Uh, thanks so much, <laughs> mate. Um, appreciate it. Have a good rest of your morning as well. Yeah, all right, speak to you soon. Cheers, Cheers man. Catch you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.